Hello, everyone, and welcome to another week of Old Everell and Young James Talk Politics. Here, as usual, with the great Everell Compton. How are you, Ed? Well, mate, I'm putting one foot after the other uh, uh, every day. Got to be a good boy today. I'm, got, I'm making a speech at the launch of the Electric Vehicles Association later in the day, and I might even declare them to be the good guys when we get to that <laughs> later in the program. No, but I'm in good shape, James, and I hope you are too. And how about you fire off about our main elbow over there in France? Well, um, he's got a lot of work to do, doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, he's he's been overseas quite a lot, um, be it, you know, he and his his senior executive team have been overseas a lot, be it Europe, um, be it Asia, be it um, the Pacific Islands, because we the, the previous government um, dropped the ball on international relations. You know, they they became a very um, isolationist country. They were happy to cozy up to our, our Western allies. And, you know, fair enough on, on that front in some regards. Obviously, we'd be critical of that for other reasons. But um, cozying up to your Western allies doesn't necessarily mean you have to be exclusive and ignore your Pacific allies, your Asian allies, your European allies, um, and your friends all around the world, and your trading partners too. And I mean, uh, a big hope of mine for the Albanese government, and I, I, we both said this before the election, was that they'd be able to fix our relationship with China, fix our relationship with Europe, um, fix our relationship even with New Zealand, uh, who Morrison had pissed off a couple of times. And I think we're we're seeing the first steps of that with Albo's tour in France. Like he, he seems to have been able to um, reset the relationship, and I think Macron's a pretty sensible guy, and he knows Albo isn't Morrison, and he knows he's willing to give a clean slate. And at the end of the day, it's really good because the big the big uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow they're plugging for is like a free trade deal with the EU. Um, and if if Albo can pull that off, um, it'll be probably his first big diplomatic win um, as Prime Minister. Yeah, well, it's an interesting thing. First of all, Morrison didn't just have bad international relationships with people. He actually, he didn't drop the ball. He kicked the ball right out of the <laughs> ballpark and then he followed it out to find it. I mean, he was way, way out of I mean, Honestly, probably going to go down as the most disgraceful Prime Minister in the history of Australia. But, but to, talking about, you know, Albo, he had to go to France, obviously, and square off with uh, with France because we behaved disgracefully, you know, in that whole matter. To give up that, to tie up with Britain and the United States on submarines is one of the dumbest things yeah. I've ever come across. And why the hell we're ever involved in submarines in the first place, I don't know. Because as you and I have talked about this on this program before, the Chinese... President Xi can lock a rocket on you and me now while we're talking on this thing. And instead of having submarines, what we should be setting up all over Australia is anti-missile defence. So we can defend ourselves against missiles. If Xi fires a rocket, what the hell is a submarine going to do to the others? And, and to have a, a continue having treaties with the United States and, and Britain uh, or anywhere in Europe, in my view, view is, is, is just, 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 just nuts. As I've said to you before a few times in our chats we have, our defence pact ought to be Australia and New Zealand have a defence pact with Indonesia and India that we're going to protect ourselves against China. You know, the Indians 
have trouble with the Chinese up on the Himalayan borders. They have a shoot-up every so often, and the trade. But Indonesia feels neglected by the whole show, and they feel they're right in the firing line of China, and they've got 350 million people as us. And they're the people we want on our side if there's a war with China. So we should have that pact. And then all of us set up anti-missile systems so we can defend ourselves against and forget about silly rubbish of, of uh, you know, like submarines. And now, does that make sense to your generation, mate? I mean, I think to, to my generation, watching the Morrison government try to wheel and deal um, its way out of the race baiting of, you know, Chinese Australians trying to smile, nod and shake hands out of um, wantonly pissing off our biggest trading partner, China, for domestic political gain. Um, to my generation, at least to me personally, and to a lot of people I know, um, not everyone, mind you, there, there were some people I know who were happy with how Morrison um, talked tough on China, but the majority of people I know thought he was a dickhead for it, and rightly so. Um, the, it, it, we have so many problems that we're facing, you know, climate crisis, um, cost of living crisis, our unemployment rate is nowhere near the poverty line. And yet we're piddling away all this funny money on US on war machines. Um, when, you know, the, the mightiest weapon in international relations is not, it's not the sword, it's not the submarine, it's not the gun, it's not the missile, it's the tongue, it's, it's language, it's dialogue. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful, very, very hopeful that, um, I know you talk about a defence pact with, um, you know, New Zealand, Indonesia and India, but I'm very hopeful the Albanese government, like it's been able to with France, which was a relationship Morrison threw in the bin, set on fire and then tossed off a cliff. Um, I hope that the Albanese government can do the same thing to repair our relationship with China, because at the end of the day, everything's better when we're all friends. Um, I know it's an overly simplistic worldview, but it's very, very vitally important um, that yeah. we, you know, we, we don't have to agree with China on everything and they don't have to agree with us on everything. But as long as we can show, you know, mutual respect. I mean, we talk about our, every time we talk about America, we talk about our shared values with the US. Um, which which values are they? Because that's a, that's a country backsliding into, you know, theocratic authoritarianism. Um, it's every day these values we share with the US seem to get less and less and less. Well, uh, Albo did a good job in France and with NATO, and it wouldn't be hard to do a better job than Morrison had done. And and I think he's squared the ledger there, and we now have to uh, start off on a different way. Now, he has upset China over there because he called on China uh, to pull the plug on Russia about Ukraine. And China, I note this morning, hit back at him quite angrily about that. But it, now, the two things, Alba was correct. If China said to Russia, we do not back you on this anymore, there's no way we're going to give you any supplies, anything, that, that would be a hell of a dust-up for, for, for Putin. By the same token, uh, uh, the, the, China reacted very angrily this morning. So I think that Alba is going to have to fly to Beijing sometime soon, and, and same as he did with Macron in France. And, and as you say, Sort of square the ledger, but let, let's move across the, the ditch to the United States, where uh, at the same time as Albert has been in uh, in France, and by the way, and, and sorting out our 
our um, climate change relationship with Europe as well, which is that, is that we were way the hell behind the eight ball there. Uh, the United States Supreme Court has blotted its copy book for a second time. The same conservative who got rid of the constitutional right for abortion a week ago have come out today or yesterday and they issued an edict saying that the Environmental Protection Authority, which was set up in America to curb emissions in industry and to have powers to force industries to clean up their act, the Supreme Court has now said that they have no authority to do that. And that's got two ramifications. They now can't be sued ahead. But you watch there be some court cases now to get some of their fines back from the, the, the agency inflicted on people. And so this is you know, an outrage. Now, obviously, there was some loophole in the, in the act that enabled the conservative on the court to say this is not a legal act. Now, Biden conflicted with another act provided the Republicans let him put it through put it through Congress. But the issue is the conservative, the Trump wing of the court is moving in first on abortion, now it's on climate change, and uh, it's extraordinary. Well, so here's the thing though, there doesn't even have to be a loophole in the legislation because the conservatives relied on something called the major questions doctrine to gut the EPA. And from my understanding, the major questions doctrine is a completely made up thing that they sort of apply whenever they feel like it to say, mm, yeah, this legislation raises major questions. Let's leave it to the states, not for the federal government to do. Completely made up. That there's no, that major questions doesn't appear in the constitution anywhere, doesn't appear in, you know, like any founding documents anywhere. It's just a completely made up thing by the conservatives of the court to be able to knock back legislation they don't like. Now, the, the Environmental Protection Agency is an interesting one because obviously around the world, um, conservative parties are opponents of climate change action. But the Clean Air Act and the Environmental Protection Agency um, were both Richard Nixon inventions. Um, I think um, Nixon was a better president than most people do. He obviously did some very, very vile things, including you know his, his Southern strategy where he um, essentially pitted black Americans against white Americans to win the votes of white Americans. But um, Nixon did a lot of like unironically very transformative things for the US. He raised the minimum wage heaps. He got that country off the gold standard and floated their currency. He created the Environmental Protection Agency and the Clean Air Act. Um, and, you know, so this is a 1970s, 19, late 60s, early 70s invention. Um, and again, get gutted by the, the US Supreme Court because the country's going backwards. We saw some other shocker decisions from the Supreme Court this week too, not just the Rowan Wade overturn. Um, we talked on our episode last week about how right before they uh, ended Rowan Wade, the Supreme Court made it much harder for uh, gun control laws to be passed. This week, they've also uh, gutted the Miranda rights. You know, the, you have the right to remain silent, blah, blah, blah. They've made it so if you're arrested and your Miranda rights aren't followed, you can't sue the police. Um, for anything that happened to you anymore. And they also um, made it so there was this case where high school football coach was forcing all his players to do like a big prayer ring after the games. And some of, their, some of the players who weren't Christians objected to this and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, no, no, the coach can force you to pray. 
that's that's totally fine. Even if you're not Christian, he can force you into prayer. So it's it's. Yeah, really sure, well, all of the bit proved is that the United States of America are going downhill fast, and and our future <coughs> doesn't lie there in that direction. But let's get on to more <coughs> happy things, James. <laughs> the ABC <coughs> turned ninety. That means the ABC and I are the same age. I'm ninety. The ABC is ninety. So I went on Twitter to say, well. They're a twin of mine, we're both uh, 90. But I went to point out that out in the bush, when I was a little boy, was in the 30s, hardly anybody had a telephone, you know, and, and you had to communicate by telegrams with uh, people. And, and, and radio was in its absolute infancy, and the ABC became Australia's national <coughs> broadcaster. And out in the bush, they were the words, anything that came over the ABC. Uh, I actually believe was the word of God. I mean, it, 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 it was it. If the ABC said it, well, then it happened. And it, it had that sort of uh, power and, and, and respect. Now, I've continued to listen to the ABC all my life. Occasionally, I listen to commercial radio, but I listen to the ABC you know, when I, <clears throat> you know, when I listen. And, and I watch two news services tonight, the SBS News, followed by the ABC News. <coughs> Excuse me, and I, I believe we need a national broadcaster. I believe the ABC is doing a good job. There will always be some individual people in the ABC who will do something stupid. Well, that will happen in the commercial shows too. I mean, Rupert Murdoch mob do stupid things every day. And so I think the ABC is an important, which we should fund to even a greater extent, but not many people agree with me on that. As a young bloke, James, do you listen to the ABC or do you just watch those rock and roll turnouts for you? <laughs> it, it's the only news channel I watch because it, it's not perfect, um, but it's certainly the best news channel that we have. Mid um, and SBS are the closest to, to um, fair and balanced news channels that we have. And it's critically important for a democracy to have like free, fair and honest, unbiased um, sources of information, um, you know that that are out there. Because again, to to stick the boot into America one more time, you look at what Fox News has done over there, and I mean, you see in Australia on Sky News, um, the Murdoch media machine trying to import all the same culture war narratives in, as are playing out in the US. But thankfully, Sky News viewership here is a lot smaller than um, Fox News viewership over there and public broadcaster viewership here is a lot higher than public broadcaster viewership over there. And it's incredibly important for a strong democracy that remains so and we protect and safeguard the ABC. Um, we can't be, you know, appointing sort of uh, corporate um, big end of town shills to the board of the ABC and directing the bent of the news away from um, what's important to what's good for vested interests. Um, like we've seen in so many other countries happen to their public broadcasters. I mean, it's it's so fundamental to a democracy that the ABC is funded. But not only the news is important for the ABC, but it's so important for culture too. Like, um, you know, that the ABC produces so many great Australian TV shows. Um, I know Bluey is the big one right now. You know, the kids show that everyone, every family around the country seems to love. Um, but the ABC gives... You know, uh, culturally diverse actors, um, TV spots. They give um, gender and sexuality diverse actors TV spots. Um, 
it's that like the ABC's contribution to Australian culture beyond just the news is really, really important as well. So there's, there's so much to uh, to be proud of. And the FBS as well. I mean, I actually yeah. regard the FBS news at night time as better than the ABC, <coughs> ABC news, but the ABC news I watch in Brisbane focuses a lot on Brisbane news, whereas the FBS is a, and, and a very responsible show. It's the same category that connects with cultural Australia. We've got 102 nations here, and that, 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 that's a, an extraordinary uh, you know, piece of work. But the whole issue of... Uh, what gets reported well on the news is misinterpreted. People get upset because if a newspaper or, or a, a radio station, TV just says something against their views, well, then the whole show has got to be closed down. And, and that's, you get that extreme show. And there's irresponsibility everywhere. And, and, and it's very, very, for instance, this business with the, the Sydney Morning Herald, which of course is now the Nine Network, getting after that. Um, Lady Rebel Wilson is not a, I'm not a particular fan of Rebel Wilson, but the way they tried to pry into her private life in a in a in the scandal column they run now, why any respectable newspaper has got a scandal column is beyond me. But, but uh, I was all on hers. I don't like it, but I was all on her side. They invaded their privacy, and it turned out to be a worldwide event in the end. The Rebel Wilson, mm. you follow it? Yeah, yeah, it it, it was bizarre, and I mean. Something like that shows the importance of journalistic integrity, right? Like, you'd hope that the ABC doesn't go around outing someone as lesbian or bisexual or gay, um, which is totally their business to tell the public if and when they want to. Um, where, like, we, our, the, the Sydney Morning Herald rightly um, got clowned on by international media for that. And I'm going to talk a bit more about the Sydney Morning Herald uh, when it comes to my bad guys of the week uh, spoilers. But, um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave my thoughts on the Herald there for now because I'm going to oh, circle back to them. And... Fair enough. Now, James, we'll get on. Let's, well, let's get on to good and bad, guys. We're advancing in time. I'll tell you how old and silly I'm feeling. I forecast about right at the start of the program as to who my good guy of the week was, and now I've forgotten. Who did I say? Um, you... Oh, geez. I've, I've, uh, f- full disclosure to our listeners, I, I wake up. 30 minutes before we record. <laughs> I know, I know what I said. I'm opening the electric. Yes, uh, yes. Associated. Come back to me. When you're 90, you need a little bit of space and time. But <laughs> some friends of mine uh, are uh, going to start uh, manufacturing electric cars in Australia. You know, at the moment, all electric cars are imported and they're very Cost me seventy thousand bucks. Some Australians uh, who want to start a plant here, and it looks like it'll start in Queensland. They're looking for a spot in Queensland. In my speech, I'm going to tell them to go to Gladstone, which I think is going to be a significant freight centre in Australia. But, but uh, I'm making a speech commending the effort to start an Australian car industry again because Tony Abbott and uh, and Joe Hockey murdered the car industry in Australia uh, way back in 2013 or whatever it was when they got into power. And all those skilled people we had were just tossed on the scrap heap. And I'm hoping that a lot of those skilled people can come back in this car industry and I'll be talking about that. So, so I'm all in favour of the guy studying electric car. Now, say that as a bloke who 
just got rid of your car. I'm not a car driver anymore. You got, I think, 90-year-old blokes shouldn't only appear on the road you know, when necessary. So I'm not a kidnapper, but I've ridden around in an electric car when I was campaigning for Susie Holt, the independent up in Toowoomba, and uh, and she had a lovely um, uh, electric car, which was uh, the quietest engine I've ever heard in my life, and electronics on it that boggled my mind. Anyway, it was a... But anyway, so I, I'm all for the electric vehicle guys starting Australia's own car industry. What do you think about starting a car industry, Dan? I mean... I think we've talked before, I've stuck the boot uh, many a time on this show about how we've lost in this country the desire to be innovative and the desire to challenge and lead the world in terms yeah. of innovation and development. Uh, so I think it's a great idea. But yeah, I, I think it stops because we, we do need to, because like we need to shut down coal, shut down gas, et cetera. But it's also incumbent on the government when doing so to find work for these workers. And leading the world in green manufacturing um, is very much somewhere, it's like something we could do to help coal and gas workers find jobs as we shut down the mining industry. So, yeah, yeah, well, anyway, I think it's a good, it's, let's hope something happens from there. James, who's your good guy of the week? Uh, so my good guys of the week are the rail, the New South Wales Rail, Tram and Bus Union and the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union. Um, they are taking industrial action. They took industrial action this week over the uh, New South Wales state government's new intercity fleet. Uh, obviously, commuters were not happy with that their trains were a bit messed up, and that's understandable. Um, but it's very, very important what these two unions are striking for. The New South Wales government's new intercity fleet, which services the Blue Mountain, which is going to service the Blue Mountains line the North Coast Line and South Coast Line, uh, North Coast Line, Newcastle Line, sorry, um, uh, is horrendously unsafe. Um, they are they, they intended, the government that is, to take responsibility for monitoring happenings on the train away from the train guard and with the driver. So we'd have to be driving the train and looking at 24 screens at all times to monitor what's going on in the train. They wanted to get rid of the guard altogether and train guard is a very important person for incident response on a train because obviously the driver can't leave the driver's compartment while he's driving. So if something happens on the train, it has to be the guard's responsibility to go and respond. So, um, and that's that goes for on the platforms too because the guard's meant to check out on the platform to see if, you know, someone's stuck in the doors or something like that. And the New South Wales state government was trying to get rid of all these. The security cameras on the trains didn't catch people who were less than 1.1 metres tall. So if you had a kid faint on a train or something, good luck seeing that um, on this new intercity fleet because the camera won't see the kid because it's too short to be uh, caught by the camera. And they were trying to outsource and privatise a lot of the um, manufacturer, uh, the maintenance and cleaning services of all these trains. So they were the government was trying their absolute best to make the trains not only unsafe, um, but also take the trains away from the public purse. I think it's very, very important. The RTBU and the AMWU has said, no, 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 not sneaking this one past us. This is too important. Well, I'm, I'm pleased that that happened, and that's good logic, James. Now, getting on to, uh, and that's all part of democracy too. That democracy doesn't all happen in Parliament. It happens yes. where we work and what we do and, and whatever. Now, coming to the bad guys, this guy, Barilaro, who's right <laughs> open, I think, I mean, yes, we're talking about the example. Uh, they, 
the, the government stampeded the process to get him made the trade envoy for New South Wales in in uh, in New York, and uh, they'd already invited some bloke who thought he was going there, and then they overrode him and told him he didn't have it, and Barilaro gets shoved through, and that was one of the worst bits of uh, of a job for the boys thing I've ever struck, but it went beyond that. It was the way in which there was no process, there was no governance, there was no accountability. So you say, well, that bloke's going to New York and all the rest of you go now. <coughs> Barilaro got such a hit, not only in the media, but in Parliament and, and, and everywhere. And I've never seen such an assassination as he got on Facebook and Twitter until uh, he at least he had the grace to withdraw. But I hope it's the last example we have of politicians when they retire being shoveled into a job by someone, and I hope it doesn't happen again. Yeah, it, it was disgraceful. Um, it, it, it was a woman, actually, who the job was offered to at first, very qualified senior public servant. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the order came down from Barilaro's office, because he was the trade minister at the time, to withdraw the offer from her. Then, like, three days later, he resigns, and then the job winds up with him. Um, funny how that works. Funny how that order of events took place. Not funny, actually, quite corrupt. <laughs> but it's... It was a terrible bit of work, and I noticed that um, parents say has dropped to below 40% in the polls this week in the popular vote towards... The election, I think you got your election next March, haven't yep. you? Yep. He's yep. not travelling real well at the moment. But this was uh, just a pure example of rottenness. Now, who's your bad guy? Um, yes, yeah, so my bad guy is the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, they published an opinion piece this week um, by some some lady, and she her, the, the centrepiece of her opinion piece was um, Nick Kyrgios should be deported back to wherever he came from. Now... Whatever you think of Nick Kyrgios's conduct, um, that is absolutely no reason to engage in really unnecessarily bigoted, bigoted attacks on him. Um, he was born in Australia, for one. So if you want to deport him back to where he came from, good luck deporting Nick Kyrgios to Canberra. But um, it's just, it, it's so unnecessary. Like you, you can calmly and frankly, if you wish, criticise what Nick Kyrgios does. Um, that's your democratic right. But it's just, he, he cops so much um, vitriol where people don't just talk about what he's done on the court or what misbehaviour he may have done and their, their opinions on that. They turn into something really unnecessary. Like when, um, when he and Bernard Tomic were going around um, together, like uh, Dawn Fraser, the swimmer, uh, wrote an opinion piece also for the Sydney Morning Herald, I believe, saying they should be sent back to where their parents came from because of the way they behave. And it's just, I, I don't understand why people have this fetish for like going straight for the racism when they want to criticise someone. It, it's very easy to talk about Nick Kyrgios in a way where you're not pulling the let's deport him card. And yet people seem to be unable to, Divorce themselves from that. It's it's just it's we, we talked yeah, before well, we about live, our media. We live in a in a funny world, James, and it's uh, look if you look if you talk to the people who run tennis and it's different everywhere. When Kyrgios plays, there's always a massive crowd turns up. It doesn't matter whether he's playing or no hope, or even if he's coming in beaten, 
because they, they're looking forward to him doing his block or doing something or turning on some act. And they get very disappointed when he doesn't, you know. Frank. And, and I remember this when I read a book by, jo by John McEnroe, the famous USA tennis player back in my time, who was known as the Brat. And every game he'd abuse the umpires, he'd do whatever. And crowds, massive crowds would turn up. And if he played a game in which he acted as an absolute gentleman, people in the crowd would want their money back because they said, we came here for the entertainment, we didn't get it. So, I mean, you've got, it's, it's a bit of a crazy world in the whole uh, situation. What, what I worry about the curious is he's obviously a bloke who's got a tremendous talent to hit a tennis ball. He has. And, and he wrecks it by this personality he's got. He, he's never really won a big tournament, and, and except in the double recently. And all I worry about is he's wasting his talent with all this immature stuff. But, you know, I hope he might do something in Wimbledon this year and surprise us all and, you know, do well. But that's the way of the world, isn't it? Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I suppose you're not wrong about his talent level, but conversely, though, he owes us nothing. He's allowed to act however he wants. If, if he doesn't want to be like a traditional Novak Djokovic-type silent assassin tennis player, um, he, he doesn't have to be, you know. He, he clearly enjoys his game more when he's expressing himself, when he's allowed to fire up a little bit. Um, so I, I, I say more, like, as, as long as no one's getting hurt, I say more power to him. Um, yeah, well, interesting times, mate. Well, look, we, we've had a good yarn, and next week I'm sure that some interesting things are going to happen this coming week. Albo's got to come back and calm down the independents who are, uh, you know, all upset about things. Anastasia up here in Queensland in a bit of trouble over bullying in the government, and which uh, she hasn't handled particularly well. We might have a little bit of chat about what happens in bullying in the governments next week and it could be a uh, you know a, a good thing and uh, and uh, and and i think that uh, uh, there are the whole issue of how we now handle COVID is going to blow up this week because it's now expanding out of control again mm. and i'm happy to be wearing a mask again as from tomorrow in fact i might even do it in you know uh, but uh, some interesting things ahead so i look forward to talking about that next week Dan. As always, thanks for listening, everyone. Looking forward to next week. Ciao for now. Bye.